Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and the moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, July 5th. 2020. The share ID numbers for Friday, July 3rd are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 14,914. That's 14914. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 14,915. That's 14915. This morning, A Vision for You presents Freedom Isn't Free. Freedom from compulsive overeating isn't free. We've got to pay a price. We have to sacrifice and take responsibility for our recovery and our freedom. Taking the steps of recovery is the way we demonstrate our desire, our willingness, and our commitment to the recovery process. The big book says that our decision in step three has no permanent effect unless we follow it at once by removing the things that block us from God and keep us shackled. Food was but a symptom. To be free, to break free from those chains of addiction, More than our compulsive overeating had to be arrested. Our own character defects, our philosophies, our ideas, belief systems, and core attitudes had to be confronted and overhauled. Step four and the inventory process of step four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, instructs us to look at those manifestations of self-will, and we take the actions that are indicated because that is our demonstration of our willingness to invite God in. The inventory process enables us to begin to know and understand ourselves and those manifestations which enslave us. The 12-step process is a tool to enable us to see the truth, and the truth will indeed set us free. Joining us today to speak on this topic of freedom isn't free and to share their experience with the application of the action of these steps are three recovered compulsive overeaters. We have Elaine B. from Massachusetts, Charles H., who resides in New York, and Nancy P., also from Massachusetts. So without further ado, it's with great appreciation that I welcome our first panelist, Elaine B. Good morning, Elaine. Elaine, star one to unmute. Thank you very much. Sorry, started without you there. <laughs> uh, this is Elaine B. Recovered in Massachusetts and extraordinarily grateful for this opportunity to share my experience, strength, and hope to you, Leah, and everybody on the line that makes this meeting possible and is changing lives every single day. So freedom isn't free. It's absolutely true. I will um, 
share some of the freedoms that I enjoy because of the clear-cut directions described and studied in this big book on this meeting every day, uh, except Saturdays. And I will also share the price that I pay to continue to enjoy these freedoms as a recovered but not cured compulsive overeater one day at a time. The title page on the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous reads like this. Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. So I enjoy the freedom, thank you God, from compulsive overeating. The recovery is described in the big book on page 85. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor food has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That's the miracle of it. We're not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We had not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And that describes step 10, right after the steps four through nine that we'll be talking about going through today. I also want to thank my higher power for the freedom to experience 100 pounds less on my body, to have experienced seven years of abstinence, and then to, I'm grateful for a relapse that I had and the eight years of abstinence I've had since then. So um, the cost, surrender control. I had to identify and release and admit my alcoholic foods and behaviors. I had to get a food plan from a nutritionist and stick with it. I personally have to be accountable by sending my food to a food sponsor every day. I manage my quantity by weighing and measuring. I avoid combinations that contain my alcoholic foods like sugar. And I need to prepare in advance when I'm eating out anywhere, whether it's with friends or family, restaurants or events, by checking menus and bringing what I need. Um, So I enjoy the freedom to fail and to keep on trying. (laughs) The cost, ego deflation, having a major relapse after seven years of abstinence, revealing that I was not as perfect as I I thought others needed to think that I was, more on that later, um, to humbly continue to ask for help because four previous attempts to get through the steps had failed. I'd be, uh, God, thank you for the freedom to be honest. Um, The cost is accepting. I have a problem I cannot fix to be open with my sponsor and with others as I continue to discover, disclose, and discard my faults to God and others <laughs> on a daily basis and to carry, carry that message, my experience, and hope um, to newcomers, to sponsees, and others. Thank you for the freedom of the obsession of the mind. I must respond to food lighting up like a warning light on my dashboard and not as an invitation to eat. I need to pause and pray, proceed as directed, which often involves using steps four through nine, all that I learned there, as a 10th step in order to discover what is eating me so I don't have to eat off my food plan and risk another relapse. Thank you, God, for freedom from the allergy of the body. I must admit I'm powerless over alcoholic foods and behaviors. To accept the phenomena of craving can bring me back into relapse 
easily. I must stay unblocked from God by working the steps and working with others. The doctor's opinion says more often than not, it's imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached, as he then has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. Thank you, God, for freedom from food fog. The allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind led to a horrible relapse um, about eight years ago and seven years ago, yeah, seven years ago, which deeply impacted my thinking. My husband wrote me a letter. He said I had taken on a new lover, which was food. I was so fogged in in my addiction that I didn't even get it. I didn't even feel it. I found the letter two years into recovery, and I was shocked to see what I hadn't seen because of my food fog. I put it away (laughs) and found it again a year later, and I showed it to him. I had changed so much, thank you for this program, that he did not even remember writing it. Thank you, God, for an ever-increasing intimacy with my wonderful husband. Going through the step work continuously has helped me grow deeper and remove fears around financial insecurity and need for approval, more on all this later, um, greater harmony and intimacy. Part of it is through this prayer that I ask for help every single day. It's based on a line from paragraph one and on page 82 and one from 83. God, please help me keep my spouse and family's happiness uppermost in my mind as I seek to make these relationships right. Please show me the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. Thank you, God, for freedom from cancer. You know, working the program, regardless of what's going on, nausea, surgery, medication, pain. um, I was diagnosed two years ago, practically today, uh, very, very close to this time. And throughout all of my treatments, my weight varied within two to three pounds of a weight range up and down um, all throughout treatment. And wow, that's just a miracle to me. Um, I went through the steps when I started chemo and I started going through the steps again um, before surgery. And uh, right now I'm in step nine. So that repeated uh, application is required. That's a payment and it's worth it. Um, Page 80, bottom of page 63 and 64 um, talks about resentment, and I'm just going to read parts of that. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. We listed people, institutions, and principles with whom we were angry. We asked ourselves why we were angry. In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, was threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. So thank you, God, for freedom to justify the pain of why I am carrying these resentments. I get to acknowledge the cost of acknowledging I was hurt, which meant I had to refeel it. I had to relive it, but I had to do it abstinently. <laughs> Some ways of going through the steps explore those God-given instincts and how they were threatened in more depth. Um, This is a very helpful approach, especially if you have the same resentments that come up over and over and over again. When I went through the steps in uh, 2019, that's, that's the way I went through. It was very helpful. God, thank you for helping me discover my realization. 
the cost that I have to realize that the reasons I was sore, the impact people others had on me, I have done the exact same thing. And I have to be willing to let them off the hook. Or as my guide said, then I'll hang on the <laughs> I'll hang on the hook with them. Thank you, God, for focusing on key areas that God is really, really changing and bringing new freedom and new hope. And hopefully some of you will relate to these things I'm going to share. So selfishness. What did I want? I recently heard that an old time who used to answer responsive phone calls would answer by saying, who's not doing what you want this time? <laughs> so that applies to me, along with wanting to be considered a hero. Here I am to save the day. <laughs> An all-wise, all-knowing, always-helpful one. Oh, yeah, that job is taken. By God, I want to be valued, honored, and important. Everything to fit in my schedule so I can feel secure. The perfect wife, too. My dear big book sponsor would sing, ay, 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 it's all about me. <laughs> Shout out to you, dear. <sighs> Dishonest. What lies did I tell myself or others? What delusions did I live under? What truth did I withhold? I really had to discover this stuff. So I told myself I need to be right and that I am right, um, that I have to to have the right response to you to please you. I have to meet your need and fix the problem to be secure. I lived under the delusion that my way is right, that people-pleasing is the way to live, that if I keep everyone happy, all will be well. I need to be available all day to fill in and fill in my calendar with service. I would tell the truth if I felt vulnerable, hurt, or didn't really have time to help. Self-seeking. What did I do to get what I want or when I didn't get what I want? So to get what I wanted, um, many times I'd people please. I'd read your mind. <laughs> Thanks, Charles H. For if I'm in your head, I'm out of my mind. <laughs> Watch for your response. Overmanage. Overschedule. Worry. Push through. If I didn't get what I wanted, I'd feel like a powerless victim. I'd shut down. I'd blame. I'd avoid. I'd get into self-pity. I'd block you out or any need of you. Um, Self-fear. What did I want to get or what was I afraid to lose? Were there other fears? Many times it was not being taken care of or valued or accepted or good enough or included. Fear of being taken advantage of, others' anger or disapproval, fear of punishment, rejection, and abandonment. Thank you, God, for the freedom to share my inventory safely <laughs> and experience a spiritual awakening. When I gave away the resentment inventory in the fifth step I did in 2013, I had a spiritual awakening sufficient to bring about recovery when I saw the pattern of what I did when I didn't get what I wanted. Block my father out because I didn't trust him. Block my stepfather out because I didn't trust him. And then I realized I had blocked my spiritual father out. I did not trust him. I've made amends and joyfully continue to make living amends and ongoing amends. And I've grown deep to deeply love all of my fathers. The fierce self-reliance that came as a result of that delusion and that behavior continues to be replaced with increased in God reliance. 
page 68, paragraph 1 of the fear instruction says this. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them down on paper, even though we had no resentment tied to them. We asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? So thank you, God, for the freedom to discover root-controlling fears. My trip through the steps in 2019 went deeper into my fears, tracing why I had them. It would ask if I'm afraid of being wrong, why? Because then I'm a failure. Why? Why am I afraid of that? Because I'll be judged. Why? I'll be rejected. Why am I afraid of that? I'll be abandoned. I'll be alone. No God. So I realized why what others thought of me was so important. I was relying on those character defects to manage the outcomes in relationships so I would avoid being rejected and abandoned. Page 67, paragraph 3 says, Fear is an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It's set in motion, trains the circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we did not deserve. But did we not ourselves set the ball rolling? So God, thank you for freedoms from delusions. My fear took root because it became a delusion from my family of origin experience when my mother moved out. Then one of my sisters moved out and my other sister moved out all one at a time and they lived together, but they didn't include me. This led me to believe that I must earn my way. I have to be useful. I have to be good enough for you to want me in your life. I have to please you and keep you happy. If I fail to, I am going to be rejected and abandoned. I am going to be alone. This fear became the delusion that I finally saw doing service and recovery. I finally had the community that I craved. And I believed the more people I could help, the better I was. The more service I did, the more I did, the more important I am, the more value I am. The more people I held like marbles in my hands, the harder I would work, the more worthy of existing I, I could be. My identity was in my do and not my who. Thank you, God, for allowing me to see my character defects which I like to call defenses. The delusion resulted in that seeking, self-seeking behavior of overcommitting, overmanaging, neglecting relationships with family and friends, anxiety over fitting in calls and meetings while still keeping up with community sponsors, newcomers, program, work, family. <laughs> God kept saying to me in my quiet time, let go of the rope. Let go of the rope. It's killing you. I finally asked, just, what does that mean? Relying on people's estimation of me. Once my spiritual father even said to me, you think a lot more about what other people think and expect of you than what I think and expect of you want you to do. Things had to change. I asked God to remove my character defects in the seven-step prayer every morning and every night that I was still experiencing this. And I remembered this. Page 27, there is a solution. God, thank you for the freedom to change conception. It says, ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast aside to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. Big book, page 28. What seemed at first a flimsy read has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. Thank you, God, for the freedom to let go of the outcomes of my relationships. At first, it felt really risky. What if they abandoned me? 
well, I, I can use it as an opportunity to learn as I continue to build on the track record of trusting and relying on God, which I began in 2013. Morning prayer and hourly timers to read something that would reinforce this new way of thinking helps me embrace the new conceptions. When I offer feedback to a 10-step uh, or instructions to a sponsee, I always offer anything outside the big book as prayer for your prayerful consideration. Please follow God's dictates and not mine. God is the solution, not me. So big book and higher power come to the rescue again. God, thank you for the power to redirect any dependence on me, for me and anybody else around me. Page 98, paragraph one, it says, um, it's not the matter of giving that's in question, but when and how to give. That often makes the difference between failure and success. The minute we put our work on a service plan, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. We simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence on other people ahead of dependence on God. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man, including me, that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts God and clean house. God, thank you for the freedom to enjoy the journey. My loving, spiritual, heavenly Father is gently teaching me how to live. He's willing to direct every area of my life one gentle nudge at a time. I get to be a seven-year-old asking lots of questions and for lots of help. I get to take time learning and practicing how to be where he wants me to be, doing what he wants me to do, to become what he created me to be. I can merge my little thimble full of all my experience, strength, and hope with his unlimited supply of wisdom, knowledge, and power to face anything one day at a time, and you can too. Thank you very much. I pass. Thank you very much, Elaine B. I now welcome Charles H. to the line. Good morning, Charles. Thank you, Leah, and, and thank you, Elaine B. Um, that was so unbelievable. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, I do. Yeah, I should have. I should have saved that question for the second hour tomorrow. A great question. Um, so, Charles H., I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Good morning, vision for you. And I'd like to um, break down this talk into four categories: uh, the second step, the tenth step. Uh, the importance of the fellowship slash a vision for you being the, the painstaking beginning and the last uh, chapter to be written before this big book was uh, presented to the world. So the second step, um, you know, I was enslaved by character defects, ideas, attitudes, emotions, and philosophies. I had the most difficult time with step two because I thought my relationship with God was superior prior to working the steps. Um, And even when I did work the steps, I was rigid, skeptical, self-centered, self-absorbed, judgmental, confrontational, and some other choice words that I probably won't, uh, you know, repeat this morning, but I was, uh, I was skeptical, prejudiced, antipathical, if that's a word, asking, belligerent, oversensitive, doubtful, self-will run riot, and self-sufficiency. Um, and, 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 you know, I learned that, you know, good judgment comes from experience, and experience, well, that comes from poor judgment. 
you know, um, if I try to recover without the fellowship, I'm playing God. And the big book tells me, first of all, I had to quit playing God. It did not work. And if I'm playing God, that means I believe I don't have any negative emotions. So therefore, I'm not going to continue to take inventory or test my thinking by the new God conscious within. Or maybe I ain't got no conscience, right? So um, the reality is um, I had to ask myself, Charles, why shouldn't you apply these human the, to the human problems the same readiness to change my point of view? One, I was having uh, problems with personal relationships. Two, I couldn't control my emotional nature. Three, I was a prey to misery and depression. Four, I couldn't make a living. Five, I had to I had a feeling of uselessness. Six, I was full of fear, and seven, I was unhappy. The reality is these developments in my life convinced me to set aside I think I know for a new experience. And now, and, and, and I realized that step two and step 10, I, I had, this had to get beaten down into my head that step two and step 10 are the, are the most underutilized steps. And I could, I could sure identify with that in my life. You know, if I try to do this by myself, I don't believe God. You know, and, and God is, is, is written in a big book. I used to say 500 times, but, I, but my friend gave me, a, you know, a suggestion uh, to another book that shows me that God is in the big book at least 172 times. Very important. And God, for me, is power and love, nothing else, because my theological mindset um, blocked me. It was a barrier. I thought I, I thought I had a relationship with power and love, and I didn't, because I was so belligerent. Um, so so, for me, without step two in my life, there's no way I'm gonna go on, and be convinced to work these steps. And a great friend of mine, a great brother, a great teacher of mine, says that step three and four are the most misunderstood steps, because step three shouldn't even take me more than ten seconds. To go on because the, the text in the big book says next we launched out right into into the first step of house cleaning right and, and and a business that takes no regular inventory usually go broke i was busted disgusted could not be trusted and you could hit me in the head with a bar of mustard <laughs> or a jar of mustard so um so the, so the so the 10th step is is one of my favorite steps um, you know, I have, I have the buildup of human emotions every single day and, um, and I need a way to get rid of them. And, you know, I, and this is also borrowed, but I, this needs to be said again, because I thank God for, for, for this platform. It's not a stage, it's a platform because this is how I, this is how I got free. Freedom ain't free. It costs something. You know, and it says on page 14, simple but not easy. A price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self, you know, and, pay, and for more amplification of self, page 62 is a great page. Selfishness, you know what it says. Um, it, it, I'm paraphrasing, but let me get back to it. Let me get back to it. Let me get to the 10th step now. Um, there are four impediments to God. 
And I can say it like this. If you don't like that word God, there are four impediments to power. There are four impediments to love. One, a resentment that I will not let go of. Two, a secret that I will not tell. Three, if I carry a thrill, I will not stop. Four, restitution I will not make. And, you know, um, most of my relationships have been restored through these 10 steps. Can I tell you, can I tell you, I did four, I did, I did two mini four steps this week. Yesterday, it only took an hour. I called one of my stepbrothers, did a fifth step, six, seven, eight, made amends. Every time I do a 10 step, I attach an amends to it. And um, I'm living in the, in the fellowship of the spirit today. And I'm going to talk about the importance of the fellowship. You know, the word fellowship really, really intrigued me. Um, it, it's mentioned in a big book 32 times. 32 times. And, and nine of those times are in chapter 11. Chapter 11, a vision for you. Chapter 11 for me means bankruptcy. I was spiritually bankrupt. I had nothing going. Can you turn that off for me? I had nothing going for me. And, and in the beginning, I know we're in the beginning of the book, but the beginning of recovery really started in chapter 11, the last chapter that was written before the big book was formulated. If you look on the, the bottom of some of them pages in a vision for you, it says April 1939. You know, for more amplification, study the text. I learned by studying the text with people. So anyway, um, so so so. All right, let me let me let me talk about how important the fellowship is. Without the fellowship, I couldn't work the program. And in a vision for you, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take us through that chapter to see how important and how. See, they didn't have Facebook in uh, 1939. They didn't have uh, WhatsApp in 1939. They didn't have iPhones and 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 you know Samsung phones and 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 and, and Skype and 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 they didn't have Zoom. They didn't have that stuff back in 1939. So you know, um, so fellowship. So one more was added to the fellowship. It's important for the fellowship to grow because without the fellowship, you know, you I I can't do ten steps without the fellowship because. I used to do that, and then, and I was so dishonest because I was manipulating it like a courtroom lawyer so it can go my way. But then when I asked for, and I had fear of asking for feedback because I didn't want you to tell me the truth because the truth hurts. But today I embrace the truth because this is the truth. The truth is I have build up of human emotions every single day, but we do have a way out, right? Um. So the second one is perhaps the best way of treating you to a glimpse of your future will be to describe the growth of the fellowship among us, the growth of vision for you, 7,000 members on the line, you know, on the, on the, on the, on the, uh, the fellowship list. The fellowship is key for me to do um, this program. You know, and the third one I've seen is in vision for you is thus we thus we find the fellowship, and so will you. And if you're on this line today, you you you're in the fellowship. You can work the program. I know it happened for me. And the fourth one is aside from the fellowship and sociability, the prime object was to provide a time and place where new people might bring their problems. Vision for you is that place. 
you know, I was just looking at a picture of um my my my, my hotel room in Virginia Beach. Yeah, I was binging, but I seen the beauty. I seen I seen the people. I seen the fellowship. We was on the beach, meditating, and um that you know I grew I grew from uh, from October thirty first to to twenty twenty. I grew, right? And 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 five is it is a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a powerful fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. And six is someday we hope that every alcoholic who journeys will find a fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous at his destination. And if you're on this line today, this can be the beginning of your destination. And a vision for you says um, your best days are ahead of you. And I believe it. I am living in freedom today. I'm not in the freedom of, I'm not, I'm free from bondage, right? And um, the, the seventh one says, we shall be with you in the, oh, I love this one. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny, conventions, retreats, division convention, the OA birthday party. We, we're in the fellowship of the spirit. We went, we was on the beach in L.A. listening to the 10 a.m., um, Pacific time meeting, about 200 of us, and we were laughing and shouting, and we were in the fellowship of the spirit, and everybody was having fun. We're not a glum lot, right? And it says, being in a large place, we think that someday its fellowship will number many hundreds. Our fellowship is, um, is, is, is numbered many millions, and I just so love it. He will show you how to create... He will show you how to create the fellowship you crave. You know how I cre- create the fellowship? I use a, a toolkit, and I and I and whoever's in my phone list, they get my spark inventory, they get my nightly review, and I and I get what they say to me, and they send me their nightly review, and I I crave that. I need that. I was one of those guys that was like, man, I'm telling God, I don't need to tell you. You don't need to know nothing about me. But I stripped down naked. Mentally, physically, well, not physically, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, spiritually, because I claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. You know, I was reading this book that says, you know what, those people, Bill W. was saying um, spirituality is something you can't hold on to. And you, I didn't know I had it. And in the spiritual experience in the back of the books, in the appendix says, you know, people, other people see it. Before I see it, I'll never come on the line and say, yeah, I'm spiritually strong. No, I'm weak. And that weakness, paradoxically, weakness is strength. I love it. I I love the big book, right? And I, and I trust the big book, you know, and work without, you know, let me go back to the second step real quick. You know, we hear faith without works is dead. We know that comes from the book of James. But work without faith is dead, too. I did the work, and I didn't believe it, and I did not recover. I was so dishonest with it. I didn't tell you nothing. And guess what? There's more work to be done. There's more work to be done. If I think I graduated, it's over. I'm playing God, and I think I don't have no emotions. Now, yes, I came on the line and said I should do about six to ten, ten steps a day. I can't tell you what you need to do. I could tell you what happened with me. Like once I did that, the floodgates opened up. Oh, my God, so much freedom. You know, I'm glad my daughter said, you know what, Dad, you're bipolar. And I said, wow, you're right. 
I don't suffer from bipolar. Most of my days are great. If they're not, they're average, and they're all right. All right. I know I got a couple more. So one more is he will show. Oh, no, I did that. He will show you the fellowship of prayer. All right. So the fe- so uh, so in wrapping up this talk, a vision for you is actually the beginning. Yes, I know we're in the beginning of the book. We're going to start forward to the third edition tomorrow. But a vision for you is, is the beginning of the book, and I want to show you how. I want to show you why. Because, you know, Bill, Bill W., y'all know the story. He was on thin ice. He looked into a church directory. He called 10 people, and he got a hold of one that got a hold of Dr. Bob, and the talk was, Dr. Bob said, I'll give you 15 minutes. The talk ended up being six, six hours. He carried the message to him, one alcoholic to another one, right? They went to the hospital, the man on the bed, Bill D., you know, it says he recovered immediately. Man, that fellowship was growing, but it took, and then the devil made care fellow. And then, he, of course, he didn't stay, he didn't stay um, abstinent, but it said a year and a half, they were followed by seven more. This seems to be, you know, it's a little speeded up now, but that fellowship was important. But could you imagine if, you know, Bill said, man, I got this, and, and Dr. Bob got this. Man, forget about everybody else. Where will we be today? We need this fellowship to grow. I was just going through from the doctor's opinion in closing with, 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 a, um, with a sponsoree, and he was tapping on his computer. He knew who he was. I ain't going to call his name. Um, and he was like, wow, I, I have a problem with this too, but the way I described it, I didn't describe any theology. I just said, Hey, do you have power? Do you have love? Do you, do you have love and access? He's like, no. I said, um, just marinate on that, and, and let's let's talk tomorrow at ten o'clock. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Leah, for your um service, and I really appreciate this platform you've given me to 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 give hope to to many. Thank you. And thank you, Charles H, for all you give. And I now introduce our third panelist. Nancy P. from Massachusetts. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so much for asking me to share. Um, I'm Nancy P. from West Newton, Massachusetts, recovered um, and grateful. I'm going to talk mainly about prejudice and its evil twin arrogance with a little chaser on resentment. Um, I picked that because I thought the list is so long. (laughs) You know, pick, pick just a couple. Um, So the definition of prejudice is a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. To be arrogant is to be conceited, self-important, and egotistical. So you can see why I picked those two, the sort of umbrella ones. Um, So I was ignorant, and at the same time I thought I knew everything, and I was also simultaneously unteachable. Only a compulsive overeater can do those kind of gymnastics. And I actually went through the big book step study process back in 2002 with a perfectly nice sponsor, and my attitude throughout the entire thing was, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, I know all that. Can we please get to the recovered part? I've been here since 1971. Don't try to tell me anything. And obviously, you know, I got what I should, I should not have been surprised at what I got. I ate for 13 more years. The The definition of resentment is bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly, and resentment owned me. I would spend weeks stewing over things I dreamed up. I once got into a knockdown, drag-out fight with a priest from a church right near my house. I mean, who fights with priests? Me, Nancy P. Anybody else? Call me. And those are only a couple of examples um, of 
many character defects. I actually Googled character defects in AA so that I would make sure to pick ones that I felt were sort of overarching of my life. But for a more comprehensive list of my character defects, anybody is welcome to call me and I'll be happy to chat about it. So my life wasn't a total disaster at all. It was more like a runaway train. You knew nothing good was going to happen in the end, right? And just like in Bill's life, there was much happiness after all. Then there would be these horrible things that happened to me because I got the ball rolling. But when disaster finally did strike, it came in the form of my then 15-year-old daughter, now 18 years old, cutting and burning herself. And I felt like it was happening to me, not to her. It was all about me, 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 me. I couldn't, myself, couldn't imagine hacking myself with, up with razors and exacto blades, but I ate my way up to 211 pounds pretty fast on a five, one and a half inch frame. On page eight in Bill's story, the paragraph that says, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. That's exactly where I was. I was exhausted and I'd had enough. Um, I got into vision. I won't go get into how, but it was amazing. Um, and I surrendered. But I'm a data-driven chick, and my experience told me that I wouldn't stay that way. I knew that. I can't count the number of times in my life that I'd quote-unquote surrendered. But I did get a sponsor who turned out to be perfect for me. Our relationship is like a cordial business relationship. She's a pro, and professionals are super focused. They know their stuff. They often have limited availability, and they expect not to wait for you. And they want to be paid for their services. And the currency I used to pay that debt was immediate and absolute compliance to any directions she gave me. In, any, in every 24 hours, if I wasn't working, sleeping, or taking care of my family, I was working on recovering either with my sponsor or reaching out to others. And absolutely nothing got in the way of my work with my sponsor, nothing. And one time, we were rushing my daughter to an inpatient bed about 45 minutes away from our house, and I figured that between the driving and the paperwork, I would get back nearly in time to make my call. So I texted my sponsor on the way to the hospital and told her I was you know, what was going on and that I might be a few minutes late and wanted to give her a heads up. And she, of course, said not to worry to take care of my family. But I was absolutely ready to do anything. And I had my big book in my car and I would have read with her while my husband drove home. Um, I thought the new process with my vision process, with my vision sponsor might not work because the two choices are doom and living along a spiritual basis. I was like, ick. And I'm sure all you other agnostics are right there with me on that. I'm always thinking that the answer is what I want it to be, that the answer is this power thing. And I thought, if it is, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. But if the answer is to find a power greater than myself, couldn't it be like not God? I'm so agnostic. It talks on page 45 about reopening a subject our man thought he had neatly evaded or entirely ignored. I wanted the answer to be anything but God, and I definitely didn't want it to be doom. It's like when I had my first baby, I was told it was a boy. Now, I love my son a lot, but I wanted to pick, and I kind of wanted more than two choices. I don't know, you know, like what was I going to have more than a boy or a girl? I don't know. So like any good compulsive overeater, I did everything except what the book says to do. Half measures, more meetings, fewer meetings, gyms, classes at work, diets, Monday morning vows. I love, love, love the with and without a solemn oath for more about alcoholism. I always laugh because it's so ridiculous. I mean, I wouldn't try to build a sandcastle with a pair of tweezers and an eyedropper. Although I probably would. I don't know. I tried and tried, but I couldn't beat this thing with anything other than higher power. And trust me, I tried. The result was nil until I let go absolutely, until I surrendered, just like the book says. 
I was just waiting to fail again. I just knew that I was going to fail. No way was I going to be able to swing my mind to the place that the book told me I needed to be. Prejudice is believing something not based on reason or actual experience. I'm an expert at that, and I totally couldn't imagine getting out from under it. The only reason I'm not an out-and-out atheist even now is because what if I'm wrong in the end? I always like to hedge my bets. I shared this terrible secret with my sponsor. I told her I wasn't sure it was going to work for me. And when she asked why, I whispered that I didn't think I believed in God. And that was putting it mildly, too. She blew that off and said I hadn't had a spiritual awakening yet, so not to worry about it. And that simple statement was what changed everything for me. Over the next weeks, it cracked open my prejudiced mind and shattered my aggregates. My prejudice and egoism had told me for decades that I was special and that I could game the system, start at the end and backfill any missing details like admitting I was powerless and that my life was unmanageable and anything else that, you know, making amends or anything like that. I used to go to big book meetings and they'd read the stuff and I'd be like, good thing I don't have to do that. Um, and, you know, wherever, whatever I wanted to do whenever it was convenient. But over those weeks, I began to believe that maybe, maybe, maybe this could work for me. Maybe, maybe. And this book is so perfect for me. It offers a solution, but doesn't say I have to do it. In fact, it says maybe I don't have to do it at all. I can diagnose myself. But I was a beaten, broken, and bruised agnostic compulsive overeater. And this book gently gives me so many ways to get to where I need to be. Page 12 says, choose your own conception of God. Page 28 says, there are a multitude of ways in which men have discovered God. And especially page 46 says, much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. And it says our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient. Creative intelligence or spirit of the universe means I don't even have to call it God. I was wicked relieved, I got to tell you. My sponsor told me to ask myself two questions. What do I want God to be and what do I want God to do for me? And I'd never considered what I wanted. I just thought it was like a drop-down menu. You know, I thought the menu was set. You know, click, drop-down, and pick. But I tore up everything I'd ever thought, read, was taught, or heard, or anything about God and thought about what I really wanted if it turned out that there was something out there. And the first thing, I definitely wasn't going to call it God. Also, I didn't want to get on my knees. That never made me feel serene. It made me feel fake and dumb. I wasn't raised that way, so it didn't feel good to me. I wanted my higher power to be patient, loving, tolerant, generous, kind, sympathetic, and honest. And what did I want it to do for me? Make me into those things. I define that. The book says I'm allowed to choose for myself. Then the most magical thing happened. My surrender went from belief to fact and was very strong. In fact, I would actually say that no later vicissitude has shaken it. I I, I, I can't believe that no matter what has happened to me, I have not wavered from that. Exactly, exactly, exactly like what the book says. And again, exactly as the book says, when I drew close, all was revealed to me, all was disclosed to me. I thought, who knew, you know? It was like I was a baby. Babies cry and they don't want to go down for their nap. And then when you put them down, they sleep. You know, that's what I felt like. I was struggling and struggling and I didn't want to go to sleep. And then then I slept. It says on page 64 that resentment is the number one offender. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease. And for me, surrender is the gift that keeps on giving. Surrender allowed me to get a higher power that's custom made by me, for me, and only me. Although anybody, it's free for anybody, totally. Surrender is the physical manifestation in real time of my higher power. I really believe that from surrender stem all forms of spiritual health. It's the anti-venom for resentment, the universal stem cell, if you will. 
It's the number one solution to all my character defects, especially prejudice and arrogance. Well, probably especially all of them, I think, but especially, especially prejudice and arrogance. When spirituality and altruism aren't as thick on the ground as I'd like, and there's disquiet in my mind, surrender allows both to flow in and point me to true north. Surrender allows me not to struggle to do the right thing. It says right in the book that we've ceased fighting anything or anyone. Ceasing fighting is also known as surrender. I do what the book says in the order it says, and I don't ever deviate. Surrender allows me to metabolize the skills I learned in steps four through nine. They've become a working part of my mind, as it says on page 87. Surrender took away the obsession of the mind. Once that was gone, there was so much space in my head and time on my hands. I felt like I'd gone from a dingy city apartment to a rolling country estate. I used to take the phrase, do what you can when you can, and somehow translate it to say, do what you can when you feel like it and see how that works. My sponsor said that all this work should pinch, and it does. I have a very busy life. I have a lot of interests. I get up early and I go to bed late. I work, but I can... But I have never gotten off the phone with a sponsee feeling like it wasn't exactly what I needed. No matter where we are in the book, it's what I need at the minute. And that's me, not the sponsee. Paradoxically, all the time I spend on my recovery and working with others actually makes time way more than it takes time. All that space showed, allowed me to arrive at step 12, e- eager to get to work. I did have to get over the shock of putting it into practical ex- ap- application at once which meant like, you know, at once, not next week or preferably next year. Working with other compulsive overreaders is the one single thing that keeps me recovered. Starting on the first four pages of the doctor's opinion, working with others is called out. Page one of the doctor's opinion says as part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics and pressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others. Page two says we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as the altruistic plane. Page three says he acquired some ideas which he put into practical application at once. Page four says we have found nothing which has contributed more to the rehabilitation of these men than the altruistic movement now growing up among them. You know, that's really powerful for me. The fellowship that has grown up about me is the container of safety and protection that the 10th step promises me as a result of spiritual fitness. Grown up about me means that I'm surrounded. There was a time when I didn't want anyone to know me or be my friend. Back in the 70s, I'd go to meetings, and when we would read that line, we know you will not want to miss it, I'd think, speak for yourself, I'm fine. The other day, my daughter was acting like a jerk in the surgically precise way that only teenaged girls can. The surrender part, that I didn't say anything, I'd have to apologize for, and the fellowship grown up around me part was that I called a dear friend to talk to her about it, and she could hardly get the words out quick enough about her own kid. We had a great laugh, and I got some excellent feedback, as well as each of us providing a loving ear to the other. The resentment was gone with no residue. There isn't anything better than that connection. My feelings about that kind of stuff, especially around my daughter because of the self-harming, is to blow over me like heavy weather. I'd be either weak with rage or else I'd be sobbing with fear, wondering if she was going to slice herself open and I'd be waiting for 12 hours in yet another emergency room while they did yet another evaluation. The stuff with my daughter brought me to real surrender, but if I, but if I hadn't, I guarantee I would have had another chance. The elevator only goes down. I've said that. Life tapped me on the shoulder many times. Have you had enough, Nancy? My answer was always, no, thank you. I've got this. Surrender means that the gale force winds can blow as hard as they want. My feelings are like seagrass on sand dunes, or as another newcomer from the Midwest told me, prairie grass in a windstorm. The, feel, the feelings blow and blow and blow. 
but I live through it, and when the storm quiets down, I'm undamaged. I'm happy and healthy and even renewed. No terrible hangovers from remorse, horror, or, and hopelessness. I'm free. The problem doesn't exist for me. This book promises me that I will react sanely and normally. To me, that means I'm going to just have a normal life. But here's the thing. Because I've done this work, because I constantly do the work over and over by sponsoring people who ask me, reaching out to my fellows and doing service, the life I've gotten is exactly, exactly what, what it says in the book. I wouldn't change the worst day I have now for the best I had when I was eating compulsively. I'd finished the steps and recovered from compulsive overeating. And that following summer, my daughter spent the entire summer and into the school year in a locked ward. I had to go visit her every night, and she'd call me whenever she had privileges, begging me to come and get her. It was so hard to hear her beg me come to get her. I'm her mother. I cried rivers and gallons and buckets of tears. But I did not eat so much as a single extra grain of rice. (laughs) Sorry. For me, those feelings were pretty heavy weather. What I did was I asked higher power to help me. I turned my attention resolutely to someone else I could help. I didn't know who needed help or even if I was helpful, but I made about 9 million calls and I did not talk about myself or my problems. I asked about them and I listened. I love the word resolutely because in those horrible months it would have been so easy to whine and complain. I've surrendered my character defects to the care of my higher power. I have these neighbors next door, Bill and Mary Margaret. They're normal and they think I'm just like them. They don't know that to me it's actually a life that's been rocketed into the fourth dimension. The promises say we have ceased fighting anything, even alcohol. Sanity will have returned and we will seldom be interested in liquor. Normal people don't fight. They aren't insane. And at least in my family, now even including me, are barely interested in food unless there isn't any on the table when they're ready to eat. Yes, that's mostly for me, to feed them. I still call newcomers nearly every day. I still usually make at least a half a dozen calls a day. I leave a lot of voicemails, but I do it every day because it feels like I learn more from the newcomers than I do from the old timers. I was on the phone the other day with a woman who was pretty new, and we were talking about surrender, and I learned more about surrender and its magic just from talking to her. I can never do enough, though. Also, nearly every night on my 11th step inventory for the question, what could I have done better, is outreach. Oh, well, I'll just keep working on it. Sponsoring is the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, I'm glad my sponsees are in my life and I want them all to succeed, but in the end, what they choose to do doesn't affect me or my life. It affects them and their lives. I tell them that all the time. And any sponsees of mine, if you're on the line, I'm still talking to you. It's like watching a movie in real time to see where I was when I surrendered. I love it, but I do it because if I don't, I, I know exactly where I'm going to be and pretty darn quick. Sponsees are a tool to keep me studying the steps. Sorry, sponsees, I still love you for yourself. I need to remember that I'm not special. When I go through the steps with them, I'm going through the steps again myself. Things pop up that I forgot or need to be tuned up. How great is that? Sometimes I think everything is a dream that I'll wake up fat, miserable, and angry again. I hear others who know the book like Big Book Ninjas, as Pete B. says. I wish Pete B. was my neighbor, even in Bill Mary Margaret, too. <laughs> I often feel that I'm still that newcomer who's barely coherent and is living in recovery that's made up of newspaper and bubble gum. But I'm not hurting myself with food. I have friends who love me. I'm happy and serene. I keep a beehive, and I lo- I'm like a bumblebee. Physics say that bumblebees can't fly, but they're the wrong shape. They're not aerodynamic. But the bees don't know that, so they fly anyways. Getting recovered from compulsive compulsive overeating really did happen to me. 
Every single promise in this book has come true for me down to the last letter and in the highest suit in spades. Every single one. So yes, it does take a lot of time and it pinches a bit here and there. If time is money, I do spend a lot of time on uh, on a lot of time on my recovery. But you know what is free? Recovery. It's there for the taking. It's free, abundant, and available to everyone. I give it away hand over fist as fast as I can to anyone who asks it of me. Thank you, Leah, so much for asking me to speak and thank everyone for listening to me. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy P., for your share. Thanks to all our panelists this morning. Panelists, contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so you'll need to stay tuned for that. The share ID for this presentation, 14,922. That's 14922. We will now transition to a question-answer period. You can pose a question to one of the panelists by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your first name, including the first letter of your last name. Do L. Do L. Camera C. Camera C. Gloria B. Gloria B. Freya H. Freya H. Pam Adriana T. Pam S. Adriana P. Okay. Thank you very much. I've got Duel, Tamaris B, Gloria B, Freya H, Sam S, and Adriana P. So let's begin with Duel. Good morning. This is Duel, Recover Compulsive Reader from the. Good morning, Do. Do I don't hear you? Star one to unmute. View view I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Now I can. Okay. So I I don't know what what did you hear. Did you hear anything? Nothing. Okay. So <laughs> I'll try again. So um, Elaine B., um, I, I want to hear from you first. Um, you mentioned that after seven years of being recovered, there was no continued ego deflation, was in relapse mode, and finally you picked up the food. My question is, when you went back and reviewed this relapse, one, what were the specific behaviors that stood out to you with this relapse, which is, of course, the mental obsession? And two, what is your commitment to make this time different? Thank you so much, Stu. Those are great questions. So uh, the specific behavior was not recognizing that the obsession of the mind was uh, was convincing me that it was okay to to uh, commit popcorn uh, as my starchy vegetable. I don't know if you know what four ounces of popcorn looks like. It is the bucket at the movie theater. My husband says, you're late for everything, but you're never late for the movies. <laughs> it wasn't the movies, it was the popcorn. 
and um, so the the other thing that I did was I, you know, convinced myself it was okay to commit a glass of wine for a gourmet dinner that I was going to, and I prepared my abstinent food, but I wanted to have the the connoisseur, you know, and, and boy, that was a lie that, that, you know, a friend on this line says, that's just sugar in a glass. I, I allowed those things to continue in my life, even though I noticed I wanted them more and more and more. I was not accepting my obsession. And, um, I also will admit that I had a resentment that it was taking so long for me to get through this work, six years of writing resentment inventory. And my commitment is now that I have have gotten recovered, I made it through the steps, thank you, God, is to continue working through the steps as was beautifully shared. Each time I go through the steps, I grow. Whether I'm going through it with a sponsee, I gain something with every reading with a sponsee, but also a new commitment of really going through the steps more myself and living as clean and clear as I possibly can in every area of my life, not just with my food, but with my attitude, with my behaviors, with my um, mostly, mostly the greatest thing is my trust and reliance on a higher power. That is my greatest goal. And I pass. Thank you. Thanks, Duell, for the question. Tamara C., your turn. Uh, good morning. Thank you so much, everyone, for your service. Um, my question, well, I heard Charles H. mention this, but I'd love to hear from anyone who wants to respond. Um, could you share your experience with the difference it makes whether or not you give away your 11th your nightly review, or what difference does it make for you when you do that, when you give it away to someone? Thank you. Who would like to respond to Tamara's question? I'll say something about that because I do give my um, 11th step away every night. I feel like it serves a dual purpose. One, there's no danger that I'm um, keeping anything to myself, and two, for me, it's more surrender about what to do. It's you know, it just allows more recovery to flow in. Um, if I keep something to myself for years, I thought, no problem, I'll do it myself. You know, I'll just do this thing, and then of course, 15 minutes later, I would be not doing this thing. So that's like a little check mark for me to say, yep, I've done everything that I need to do. Yes. Thank you, Nancy P. Thanks, Tamara, for the question. Gloria B., your turn. Hi, this is Gloria B. in uh, Missouri, Close um, Bower Eater. My uh, question is, um, I heard four impediments, but I wasn't quick enough to write them down, and I believe Charles uh, H. Um, mentioned those, so if you could please repeat those. Thank you. Yeah, I'll be pausing so much. Sometime I only saw one in time. So, um, yeah, I'll get that for you. So, give me a second here. All right. So, a resentment I will not let go of, a secret I will not tell, a vicarious feel that I will not stop, and a restitution I will not make. Thank you, for, and thank all three of you for your um, great shares. With that, I'll pass. 
Thank you, Gloria B., for your question. Freya H., your turn. Good morning. Good morning. This is Freya H. Thank you to all the panelists. And this is a question for Elaine, but I'm happy to hear from other panelists, too, um, when you talk about going through the steps multiple times and doing it in different ways and um, different approaches. I'd just love to hear, you know, how do you, what what prompts you to uh, to get started on another round of the steps? Um, any just any thoughts about that? Thanks. Thank you very much. It's a great question. You know, um, I had heard people saying that they had gone through the steps several times. Of course, I had, you know, four failed attempts, uh, one doing it a checkbox way, another doing it, like I said, writing uh, resentment inventory for six years. That that was moving a little too slow for me, a little too detailed. And um, so I'm so grateful for the recovery that I found. And um, working with sponsees helped me, you know, uh, continue to grow this program, getting in the big book meetings helped me really grow. But um but I did decide that when I went into treatment for um for Alcoholics Anonymous that I was going to go through the steps again. I mean for uh, breast cancer that I was going to go through the steps again. My experience was uh was so fantastic. I just really knew I wanted to do that. Um Actually, I realized that I had other things that I wanted to work on, and I got together with a small group of people, and um, we went through the steps. However, that way was not really, really, really helpful for me. It was, you know, the blind leading the blind kind of a situation um, and using a, a different format that I, that I wouldn't go back to. But I did gain from that experience and the beautiful relationship. So really what I feel like is that it's just following the dictates of a higher power, you know, feeling that gentle nudge. Okay, it's time. Try this. Go here. Look at this area of your life. Let's bring it through the steps. And one time I did a morning, a, a mini four step that I, I really stepped back and, and, you know, brought that through all the steps when I found out that a, fam, that a family member had been sexually abused and it brought up some history for me. And so um, so those are some of the motivations that uh, that had caused me to go through the steps. Thank you. Thank you, Freya for your question this morning. Sam S., your turn. Star one, unmute. Good morning. Thank you, everybody. That was amazing. Um, My question this morning is for Elaine B. Um, You had mentioned that at some point in your recovery, you had mentioned um, realizing that you were kind of doing, like sponsoring to do, to achieve. And I'm just wondering how you use the steps in your process of healing to kind of segue away from that, um, that question makes sense. Thank you. Thank you so much. And it's not so much doing because I need to do, I need to be with others. I need this community that I crave. Um, but I also need to be rigorously honest and recognize when I'm overdoing, when I'm trying to seek, uh, seek a result, to <laughs> uh, seek ease and comfort from my ability to help others um, and relying on that more than relying on my higher power. So uh, at one point, it felt like I had so many people uh, even looking at my my calendar and, and everything that I had to do, it was difficult for me to breathe. And the picture God gave me was like every person was a precious marble. Every relationship is precious. I love you all. If you know me, I love you. Those of you on the line, I love you. You know, my face community, I love you. And um, so, but all of those were marbles, and I felt it was up to me to carry them. That's the difference. 
You know, I wasn't trusting, relying on God to carry them. It was up to me. How much can you get down if you have your hands full of marbles? If you're monitoring how everybody else is doing, if you think, I need to check in with this one and that one, and how are they doing, and I need to know the answer. I need to figure it out for them. That's not how this works. I need to trust and rely on a higher power. I need to be part of a community, but I need to be allowing the, the, uh, my, my, my father, my guide, to, um, to, to use me how he sees fit instead of me running it down, chasing it down, seeing how I'm doing, checking off a list. Um, and I hope that makes some sense. Uh, so now the more balance that I'm getting, I feel a, an increase in um, effectiveness and, um, and peace and serenity in my schedule and my relationships and um, not overmanaging and watching people to get that hit of I'm okay, I did good. Because um, it's really not about me. It's about trusting and relying on a higher power. So I hope that helps. I pass. Thank you, Sam S., for your question. Adriana P., your turn. Hi, this is Adriana P. Thank you, everyone, for your service. Um, My question is, for anyone on the panel, um, if you could talk about the challenges you had in your first year of recovery and what you would say to the newly recovered as Um, some encouragement or just little tips on what to stick close to. Thanks. Thank you, Adriana. Which panelists would like to respond? I guess I will. um, Thank you. No one else is stepping into the void. Um, when I talk to newcomers, especially not ones that I'm sponsoring, but ones that I call and I talk to them about, you know, how, you know, what my experience was, I talk to them about how, of course, everybody knows this. I mean, I feel like I never say anything else. I talk to them about how I struggled and how I surrendered. And um, the one of the things that when I first dialed into a vision for you, you know, I had been around the block a lot, a lot. I was had my pedigree in this program is pretty platinum, and um, I had a lot of experience. But when I dialed into vision, nobody was talking about food. Everybody was talking about recovery, and so I did for those first couple of weeks before I got a sponsor. I listened a lot, and um, I, I mean, every day for two hours I listened, and I got a lot of. Um, help and I stayed away from the food and then I I knew that I had to go further. I mean, I did what they say to do. I did I didn't know that it said that's what the book says to do. Um I mean, I kind of did, but I did what the people said they were doing. And that's how come working with others is so important. I mean, I even then I was like gravitating towards these fellows that had the solution that were working the program. I listened to, you know, everybody on the line from the rock stars to the to the peanut gallery. You know, I listened to everybody that had something to say because they had something that I didn't. So I kept all of it really, really close. There's no, I mean, I, for me, there wasn't any one thing other than surrender. That was like the, you know, like I said, that's from that stems all forms of spiritual health for me. 
Um, but you know, there's not there's not a silver bullet. I I did not find that. I found that I just had to stick close to it. I had to shed everything. I had to open my mind. I had to listen, 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 and um, that's what I tell people. So hope that helps. Thank you. Hi, Leah. Can yes, I? Can Charles. I? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I I would say to that to that newcomer, don't struggle with contempt prior to investigation. Um, taste the Kool-Aid spiritually. Um, don't take a long time to, 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 to lock into power and love. Um, and, and work without faith is dead. Trust, trust and believe that these people on the line are happy and absent. And that, to me, that's the goal, to be absent and happy about and to, and, to, and to spread the good news, maybe not from the rooftop, Maybe not so so overzealous, but in a, in a humble, kind, and loving, altruistic spirit. But but jump in. It may be cold at first, but once you continue to search dishonesty, resentment, and fear, you you're gonna live in the fellowship of the spirit. So thank you. Leah, may uh, I have one uh, Of course, go ahead. And- I may have misunderstood the question, but um, I thought perhaps you might have mentioned um, for somebody who's newly recovered and and just starting to sponsor, and if I'm wrong, please forgive me, but um, if that's the situation that you're in, um, the one thing I would say is remember that it's not up to you. It's the book that's going to convince them. It's the answers in the book, how they respond to, am I a compulsive overeater? Can I turn my you know, am I willing to look at a higher power for a solution? Can I turn my will in my life over the care of my uh, higher power? But I don't need to convince them that it's the book itself that does the convincing. So trusting and relying on using the book to bring them through and the amazing resources that we have available on Vision for You and other meetings and places as well. And so, um, again, please forgive me if I misunderstood the question, but I thought um, I'd share that. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Adriana P., for your question. We have time for a few more questions. If you have a question for one of our panelists, star one to unmute, I need your first name, first letter of your last name as well. Penny C. Penny C. Pete. Kathy K. Kathy K. Anyone else? Going once, twice, three times. Cindy Ann. Cindy N. Yeah. Okay. That'll take care of it. Thank you. Penny C., go ahead with your question, please. Good morning. Thank you, uh, Leah, so much. And my question is could be for anybody, but especially for Nancy. Um, with with all the work you do with sponsees and, and taking calls and I just wonder, do you have any um any hints as to how to best manage your time? Um I don't I you know, I've sort of you know, again it's surrender. If I have a list if I have a bunch of stuff that I wanna get done or stuff that I wanna do um, I don't worry about stuff that I can't do as long as I keep the program stuff, the recovery stuff, first and foremost. I mean, I don't get to, I don't get to um, watch movies with my family 
except on Fridays and Saturday nights. So if they want to watch something, a TV program on a Sunday night, I'm out of luck. And I'm okay with that. I mean, because what I get from doing this stuff allows me to do so many other things that I never could do. I mean, people have talked, heard me talk about my garden. I spend a lot of time on my garden. And I would never, if I was in, if I was eating or, or just, or even not eating, but not working the steps and not doing this work with sponsees and helping people, it would be, um, I wouldn't even be able to do that. I don't really, I think the stuff that I'm supposed to get done is the stuff that I'm supposed to get done. Sometimes it's a little seat of the pants. If I forget to go to the grocery store to pay, or if I forget something at the grocery store, I got to make another, another uh, run or, you know, luckily I have two driving children and their job is to do what I tell them to do. <laughs> I'm kidding, but they will, they do like to drive. So I'll send them out to the grocery store for me. Like they do stuff for me. My husband um, does stuff for me. I mean, not that he wouldn't, but now I know how to ask other people to do things. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Please help me. You know, I just, I don't know. The stuff that ends up happening in my life is the stuff that I want to have happen. And the stuff that, um, that I would like to have happen if I don't have time to do it all the time, I have time to do it once in a while, that's good enough. Everything changes. I mean, you know, I'm home now, so I have more time to do things that I didn't used to have any time to do. I'll eventually go back to work. I'll have less time, but it will all be fine for me. Pass. Thanks, Penny, for your question. Pete B., you're up. <coughs> Excuse me. Oof. Maybe I should shut up. Uh, my name is Pete B. I'm a compulsive overeater recovered today by God's grace and mercy. Thank you to the fantastic panel. Everybody's message was, was clear and had depth and weight, and I got a lot out of each of them. And uh, I'd be happy to be uh, 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 Nancy P's neighbor because that <laughs> would mean I was on the road to happy destiny because um, she is absolutely on the road to happy destiny. So my question is for the panel. I would just be interested if you would if you could all share your take on what it says what what it says and how it works that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. Okay. Response from all three, so let's take it from the top. Elaine B. Thank you. The my response to that is incredible gratitude because that caused me to lean into a power greater than myself. You know, this whole life of self-reliance, I don't need you. I'm going to shut you out. I'm on my own. It's up to me. If it's to be, it's up to me. My little symbol of everything I knew, everything I did, every success, every point of wisdom, all the education, everything like that is a tiny little symbol. And what that meant to me is that I had to look for something bigger. And even though I had a higher power in my life, sufficient to bring it out and in one day put down drugs and alcohol and cigarettes, but I could not pick up put down the food. I couldn't because God had more for me. So that means that there's more. I get to bring my little thimble and pair it with an ocean of unlimited wisdom and direction and peace and strength. And every time I seek that higher power, I gain more. So um, that is, that's my response to it. I am so grateful that I am not able to handle this because it means more of life, more freedom, more happiness, and more effectiveness, and I pass. Thank you. Charles H.? 
Hey, Pete, can you repeat that again? Because you know me, I'm a slow learner. Or can somebody repeat that? Because I really totally forgot. Sorry, I had problems with the unmute button, Charles. I wanted to I wanted to hear your perspective on what it's on on with what it says and uh, how it works. That probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. Yes, um, no no human power uh, relieved it, but God God's kids was definitely uh, instrumental in in helping me to get to that power and love. Um, how it works says that no, yeah, no human power ever have relieved it, but it, it, it didn't say it couldn't help it. it. It didn't say it couldn't be instrumental in gaining access to a power greater than myself, which is not human, but I can utilize the fellowship in order, in order to gain access to that power, which is unhuman, which is, which is, which is beyond my my understanding i don't i don't understand god but i stand under god and i stand under the principles uh laid in that that beautiful chapter how it works thanks thank you charles nancy p your thoughts yeah uh thanks pete for the excuse me for the question um so I had touched on that in, in my talk when I said, you know, I didn't want the answer to be God. I don't, you know, I didn't want today. I don't care. I don't care what the answer is. I just know that it's not me. And um, so I put a lot of time into, you know, my spiritual life. But um, I was, I got a call yesterday. Someone had a, um, had a problem or had a resentment and she did a 10 step. And then she said, do I have any feedback? And I said, well, you've already done the, you know, the asking your higher power to remove it. So now you have to, you know, you have to pick up the, you know, you have to do something earthly. You know, you have to pick up the phone and resolutely turn your attention to something, to someone you can help. And for me, that was, it was a combination, you know, because I'm so agnostic, I, it had to be this power greater than myself. All right, so I'm, I'm getting there, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm designing this power greater than myself, but the stuff that, cements it and hammers it down is all the stuff, all the maintenance, right? Like the bees, right? Their job, you know, I look at my beehive all the time and their only job is to keep their queen happy. And my um, relationship with my higher power, my only job, everything that I do is to keep that, you know, warm in the winter, cool in the summer, clean, everything, you know, I work around it all the time. I'm like a drone. And, um, you know, it's it's a relationship that, um, like any relationship, if you put time into maintaining it, it remains strong. So um, that's I spend a lot of time doing that, and I don't really, you know, it doesn't. It's like all pain is equal. Who cares how you got here? You know, my pain with my daughter was monumental to me, but I've also eaten because I dinged my manicure or forgot the dry cleaning. You know, I. It doesn't matter. I don't care about any of that. All I know is I need to do this thing. I need to. Um, maintain this relationship and I spend a lot of time doing it um, and I don't worry about the result. I just keep going. That's it for me. Pass. Thanks, Pete B., for your question. Kathy Kay, you're up. Sir, one unmute. Thank you, Leah, for your service and thank you to all three panelists. I got so much out of your shares. 
So as someone who's been around a really long time, I want to ask you something that you've probably also experienced, which is I find every once in a while that I'm kind of stuck in in my growing relationship with my higher power or my daily practice starts to feel a bit routine or not as vital as I would like to be. Have you experienced this? And if so, what do you do? In the interest of time, I'll take one panelist. Charles? Okay. Go ahead. Um, That's a great question. Um, So, you know, I've, uh, you know, I used to do the emails and all that and, yeah, I do the meditation, but I, you know, uh, uh, the fellowship. Somebody in the fellowship sent me a gratitude list early in the morning, so I added that gratitude list um, to my early morning practices. You know, I added it to my quiet time, like before, like you know, I'm getting ready for work. Usually, I stand at around five or six a.m. in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. There's ten things. I, I used the OA toolkit, which I found out from somebody in the fellowship. I knew nothing about it. I sent it to random people. If you in my phone list, you you suspect to get a gratitude list from me and a nightly review. And, and you know, I, 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 I get quiet. I pray. Sometimes on my knees. Sometimes not. And, uh, you know, I try to read page 83 to 88 and, and read some other spiritual literature. And, and 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 my contact is improving. Uh, this this intertwining ten with eleven has has dramatically changed my life. So mm. I hope that's helpful. Thank you, Charles. Thanks for your question, Kathy Kay. Our final question for this morning comes from Cindy N. Hi, this is Cindy N. As a Nancy, I'm a chronic relapser. First of all, and My question is for Nancy P. Um, I hear you talk about surrender, and I I always feel like I did surrender, but then, you know, it doesn't stick lately. The relapses have made it really difficult. Um, I feel like it's just I need something new to happen, and I do believe in my higher power. But I just wondered how you know when you surrender and when you get an answer from higher power. Thank you. Hi, Cindy. Thanks for the question. It's a great question. And I'm not sure what I can say. I wish I had, you know, uh, an answer, a definitive answer. I'm sure um, there are plenty of people on the line that have the answer. But for me, there was no silver bullet. The elevator only went down. I had so many cataclysmic catastrophes in my life. You know, I mean, when I was in high school, I got in a car accident every weekend for two months. You know, stuff like that would happen to me. I mean, not luckily every two months, but, you know, stuff like that happened to me throughout my life. And, um, you know, all I can say is when the pain got bad enough, I stopped. You know, I, I, I wish I could. You know, the answer doesn't change. The answer, you know, the answer, you know, is in the book. The answer is in the doctor's opinion, and there is a solution you know, it's it's there if you um, if you can stop feeling like you're special. You know, that's for me. I felt like I was special. Like I didn't have to do it the way that they say. And um, I have to say that 
no matter what, nothing got in my way of just of just doing that. I worked with someone that was about as cuddly as a brick wall, and she was the best thing that ever happened to me. She didn't say, oh, poor, oh, that's so sad. Oh, yeah, I understand. I mean, I had a sponsee the other night that was on va- a couple of weeks, a week or so ago that was on vacation. She had, she rela- you know, broke her abstinence, and she said, I don't think I'm going to be able to really get a grip on this till I get home. And I laughed out loud. I said, you're not, you know, what do you think you, you know, like it sounds to me like I'm being gamed by a toddler, you know, job or no job, wife or no wife. I just finally, finally had had enough. I don't know what else to say other than that. I wish I had a magic bullet, but there isn't one. The the magic bullet is the 12 steps starting with the doctor's opinion. And you can call me if you want to talk about it more. Thank you, Cindy, for your question. Thanks to everybody who posed a question. Of course, a heartfelt thank you to our three panelists this morning, Elaine B., Charles H., and Nancy P., for bringing to life the text threaded together with your personal experience of the application of the 12 steps. Much appreciated. Always inspiring to hear stories of transformation such as yours. Again, the share ID for today, 14,922. That's 14922. We're going to close from page 164. Of course, you'll notice that it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows clear away the wreckage of your past give freely of what you find and join us we shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny may god bless you and keep you until then